Matthew 5 is the first selection, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, and then over to Matthew 28 after that. Hear now God's holy word, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's turn over also to Matthew 28. The Great Commission. When you hear a scripture that you're very familiar with, try to pretend you've never heard it before. It's a good way to uh, catch things that you've been missing or not realizing the significance of. As if you've never heard this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Referring to the disciples, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's again join our hearts together now in prayer. Our gracious Father, we again come to the preaching of your word, and Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand the truths that will be preached this morning. Father, we pray for Pastor Marcus that as his words come, that they would be the very words of, of you this morning to us, to the working of your Holy Spirit. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As we start out this morning, I want to begin with a couple of preliminaries. You need to remember this as you hear the message this morning. Number one, it's not about us. Evangelism is not about us. Now, I'm going to be issuing uh, some challenges along the way, especially more toward the end, some applications. And the tendency of many of us is that when we are challenged or even corrected by the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures, we tend to start feeling sorry for ourselves and focusing on ourselves and, oh boy, I wish I had done a better job so I could feel better about myself and, oh, I'm just going to make sure I do better in the future. When convicted, yes, 
Repent. But, do that and then look to Christ for forgiveness and for His power for new obedience. Because it's about Christ and His glory, not about how we feel. So don't get stuck in the woe is me uh, section. And this is important. What is, uh, again, reminding as a reminder, it's not about us. What is the biggest reason why most of us do not always do so well, perhaps as well as we would like to or as God would like us to in the area of personal evangelism? I'd venture to say the answer is because it makes us feel awkward to maybe talk with someone about something they don't want to talk about. And, and why do we feel awkward? Well, because we're thinking about ourselves rather than about Christ and His glory. We're worried about what people are thinking of us. But when our focus is on Christ, remember, when we remember it's not about us, self practically drops out of the picture. Self drops out of the picture so that it is about Christ. Preliminary number two is that not only is evangelism about Christ and His glory, but also it's about imitating Christ, following in His footsteps, imitating Him in His love for the lost. So number two, it's about loving like Jesus loved. Remember that Jesus loved the sinners, the prostitutes and tax collectors. Of course, you know, all the way from the, the most righteous, all the way down to them, But as an example of how he loved, he spent time with the down and out. He ate meals with them, which really put him in bad graces among the Pharisees. Jesus loved the leper and he loved the woman with the flow of blood and others who were unclean, so much so that as he healed them, he reached out and touched them, which... Had they remained unclean or had the law been interpreted in a certain way, that would have disqualified him from being able to worship in the temple. He reached out and touched that leper to show his love. Tangible acts. He had love and compassion on those who were like sheep without a shepherd. So evangelism, number one, is about Christ. And number two, it involves loving God. Like he loved. And then this morning, four brief points about making God's good news known. Number one, we'll look at who. Then number two, how. Number three, why make God's good news known. And then number four, a a don't forget to close out with. So who, how, why, and a don't forget. So number one, who? Who is to make God's good news known? Now, if you are uh, sophisticated and you're a careful Bible reader, uh, as we read the Great Commission, you, you could see and notice Jesus wasn't talking to all the believers at that time. He was talking to the 11 disciples, the 11 of 11 who were left out of the 12. And, and, and you may have done some work yourself to convince yourself that the task of evangelism, yes, it's for the church in general, but it's really mainly just for the pastor 
maybe the elders too, and the missionaries. So that you can let yourself off the hook. Well, let me just put it right out there. This task is for the whole church. Not everyone in the same way. We all have different callings and tasks as to how to evangelize. But this calling is for the whole church, not just the missionaries and pastors. Listen, please, to 1 Peter 2.9, and you might like to turn there. 1 Peter 2.9, and as you make your way there, if you're going from the middle of your Bible, you'll pass 1 Peter 1, verse 1, which makes it very clear who the whole book is written to. talks there about to the elect, to the elect exiles. The elect, that's every believer. So 1 Peter 2.9, But you, believers, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And that's the key phrase I want to bring out. All of us are a royal priesthood. Now, do you know what a priest is? What does a priest do? What's his job? What's his role? A priest is a mediator, a go-between between God and man. The priest is God's representative. He brings God to man. But he is also the representative of the people. A priest brings people to God. He brings them together. Priests are mediators between God and man. And that's us. And so you have to deduce from that that all of us are called to evangelism. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So number one, who evangelize? Who evangelize? All of us. The go, therefore, through the mediation of the first 11 disciples is really given to the whole church. Now, next question, number two. How? How evangelize? Now, for some of us, go to Uruguay and build relationships and do the work of ministry there. But for many of us, it just means go out your front door. If you're a hermit, that might not work so well unless you are clever with social media. You can still have lots of relationships that way. Friends, there's a world of lost people right outside your front door. And one of our callings as Christ's disciples is to go and to love and to serve them. To seek to make disciples of, of co-workers, classmates, um, service providers, young ladies who are in the midst of crisis pregnancies, whoever God may lead you to minister to, but especially the people whom you rub shoulders with day by day, the people who know you well enough to figure that you're probably not an axe murderer or some crazy person. Seeking to serve them in love in order to open their hearts toward the gospel. Often the very first thing or the very first batch of things that we need to do with someone else that we're seeking to reach is love them through acts of kindness and service. Perhaps identify some need, uh, help with the yard that's unkept, offer a shoulder to cry on, whatever it may be. Be creative and meet the need in love. You know what happens? 
often or at least sometimes, that then opens the way for such a person to start to at least be interested in hearing your testimony or studying the Bible with you or accepting your invitation to come with you uh, to, to, to the worship service or to some event at church. I wonder if you've made this observation so far in your life. Unbelievers' hearts are hardened toward God. And even if they're the kindest person, deep down their hearts are in rebellion against God. I wonder if you've made this other observation. Love softens hard hearts. It warms up hearts of stone that are cold toward God. And yet, loving and serving, these things are costly, are they not? It's very difficult to, to take, to find the time, to be willing to spend, to, to sacrifice the emotional energy to try to have yet one more relationship out of all the relationships that you already have. So for the vast majority of us, evangelism is difficult. Which takes us this morning to my third point, the why of evangelism. The why. I would venture that many of us are kind of stuck when it comes to evangelism. Because we're facing two uncomfortable things, two uncomfortable choices, but we have to choose one or the other. And we'll often choose rather to disobey God's call to evangelize because that feels less uncomfortable or we can forget about that thing more easily than on the other side, loving and sacrificially serving the lost who are in our lives, those who are in need of evangelism. So what's the answer? Well, what I mean by the why, my third point, is really the motivation. We need to know why we should evangelize. And so number three, and there's a lot of reasons, but the single one that I want to highlight above all, number three, the why is love. Above all, it is love. And especially love for God. We want to serve Him. We want to be the, the priests, the ambassadors, the representatives that He calls us and wants us to be. So the number one motivation is having a love for Christ that beats out our love for self and all other loves. 1 Timothy 1.5 The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now if you've grown up in the faith, it can be especially difficult to keep that love alive. It is so easy begin to go through the motions of the Christian life and to let love die away. But without love, there's no motivation. And so for love, we can simply start with a love that issues from thanksgiving. A thanksgiving toward God that comes from thinking about all that He's done for us. So a love because of what God has done for us. 
And to think this way is simply to remember the gospel afresh. It's to think about what we've been rescued from and at what great cost. And also to think about all that we've been given. Listen to some verses from Ephesians 1. Here's verses 7 and 8. Remind yourself of this often. In Christ, we have redemption. We've been bought back. We have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. Verse 5, we, He predestined us for adoption as sons. The likes of you and me who still sin, who still sometimes spit in His face. That's really what we do every time that we sin. He adopts us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He loves us that much that He did, again, all that was necessary to make us His sons and daughters. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Friends, that's the Gospel that we need to think about anew and think about afresh. Oh, that our prayers would be, Lord, I love You so much because of all that You've done for me so that if You say, jump, I'm going to say, how high, Lord? And when and where? And friends, when we don't want to pray like this, when we don't even feel like it, let us fall at God's feet and repent and grieve over the coldness of our hearts and beg Him to give us zealous and loving and thankful hearts that are eager to love Him back in every part of our lives, with every moment of our lives. Meditate on the Gospel of God's love for us. Do that and you'll be better prepared to share it too, right? You'll have it on the tip of your tongue. Remind yourself of the beauties of the Gospel. Figure out your favorite verses that encapsulate the Gospel and memorize them. Another idea is to use on occasion books written by Christian authors, excellent books that force you to look at the Gospel in a new way to stir up your thankfulness to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us. And I'll insert now the words to obey in this area of evangelism. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. So motivation A, love for God. And then there's also another motivation. It is lesser, and yet it is also very important. Love for man. Love for neighbor. Friends, let us also let love for our lost friends, neighbors, co-workers, and others motivate us to serve them by evangelizing them. We want them to come to the point of wondering, where does this, where is this overflowing love in my Christian friend come from? It seems like a supernatural love so that they want to find out. They want to know the source of that supernatural love that you have. This doesn't mean necessarily you um, 
making it a full-time job to start um, serving those around you who don't know Christ, nor does it necessarily mean that you're going to be the one who lays out God's full plan of salvation. But again, you want to warm up hearts to thoughts of the Gospel, to listening to you share about God, and to invitations to come and see God's people at worship and hear God's holy word. Now think about this. If you knew someone, or even if you knew of, of someone who was regularly eating something you knew was actually killing them, work with me here, but they've got some rare food allergy that they did not even believe that they had, and they thought they were fine and they didn't necessarily want to hear what you have to say. Now think about how this translates into evangelism. What would you be compelled to do if you had any real love for this person? Again, what they're doing is causing them to die. They're going to be dead in two or three years and have a horrible time of decline in health leading up to that. I think if you loved them and if you cared for them, you'd have no choice but to try to warn them, to try to get your message through. And I'm sure you'd put lots of energy into being very thoughtful and creative and most diligent about figuring out how can I get my message through? How can I get them to listen to me about this, what would be the wisest way? Friends, God calls us to love our lost friends in this way. Figuring out how to gently tell them what they don't want to hear. How would it be if the situation were reversed? What would you desire? If they were the believer, you were the unbeliever. Matthew 19, 19, the words of our Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or he put it differently in Luke 6, 31. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That was my, my biggest point this morning. Our twofold why for spreading the gospel. Love for God and love for our fellow man. And then lastly this morning, number four is a simple reminder. A reminder, what must we as Christ's body be doing as we evangelize? What must always accompany our ministries of word and deed? I believe that perhaps the single most important ingredient is prayer. Psalm 127, unless the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Prayer. Don't forget prayer. The Apostle Paul was always writing to the believers in his epistles and saying that if anything was going to happen as far as doors opening for the gospel and the conversion of the lost, it would happen through their prayers, through their partnership and ministry with him. And we know that he himself was a prayer warrior, always praying. He always said in the, he said in the epistles, I always thank God for you and remember you in my prayers. And he prayed for God to open doors. He prayed that he, he wanted to get to Spain and in other new places to bring the gospel to those who had never heard. You know, I'm sure, that if we attempt this task, on our own, 
with our own wits, our own wisdom, in our own strength, most likely nothing will come of it. Now this is basic nuts and bolts, but I, even having served now as a missionary, am sad to admit, but I must admit that I need frequent reminders of this. Often I'll get a great idea. I'll be thinking about it, thinking about it, and then I'll just go out and do it. An idea for evangelism, and I'll do it, and then, at the end of the day, whoa, I forgot to even pray about it and ask God for His wisdom and ask Him to bless this effort. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you do not have because you do not ask, didn't He? Pray to the one to whom all authority has all authority in heaven and earth has been given. Matthew twenty eight. The great English preacher and prayer warrior C. H. Spurgeon uh, came up with an illustration regarding prayer and evangelism. I want to read it to you. Two laborers in God's harvest met each other once upon a time. And they sat down to compare notes. One was a man of sorrowful spirit, and the other joyous, for God had given him the desire of his heart. The sad brother said, Friend, I cannot understand how it is that everything you do is sure to prosper. You scatter seed, as in the seeds of the gospel, with both of your hands very diligently, and it springs up and rapidly too. I have sown, said he, as you have done. And I think I can say I have been just as diligent. I think too that the soil has been the same, for we have labored side by side in the same town. The seed has been of the same quality, for I have found mine where you get yours. He's referring to the Holy Bible. But alas, my seed never springs up. I sow it, and it is as if sowed upon the waves. It disappears. I never see a harvest. Here and there, a sickly blade of wheat I have discovered with great and diligent search, but I can see but little reward for all my labors. They talked a long time together, for the brother who was successful was one of a tender heart. And therefore he sought to comfort this mourning brother. They compared notes. They looked through all the rules of farming and they could not solve the mystery of why one was successful and the other labored pretty much in vain. At last, a successful laborer said to the other, I must retire now. Why so early, said the other? Because this is the time when I must go and steep my seed. Steep your seed or soak it, said the other. Yes, my brother, I always steep my seed before I sow it. I steep it till it begins to swell and germinate, and I can almost see a green blade springing from it. Then I know that it will speedily grow after it is sown. Oh, said the other, but I don't understand what you mean. How do you steep your seed, and in what mysterious mixture? Brother, said he, it is a composition made of one part of the tears of agony for the souls of men and the other part of the tears of a holy agony which wrestles with God in prayer. Which wrestles with God in prayer. This mixture, if you drop it 
if you drop your seed in it, has a transcendent efficacy to make every grain full of life so that it is not lost. Friends, if you have heard or read much about Spurgeon, you know he was not only a gifted preacher, but a prayer warrior who led his church into becoming a body of prayer warriors during the worship services. Down in the basement, there were hundreds of people praying for the effectiveness of the Word being proclaimed up above. So number four, prayer in evangelism. Friends, it is a key but easily forgotten ingredient. So we've looked at the who of evangelism. You, let your light so shine before men that they might see others and glorify, that others might see and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5. We've looked at the why, or excuse me, the how of who, then the how of evangelism through love beginning with sacrificial, tangible acts of love and service, paving the way for hard hearts to become receptive to the gospel. Deeds and words, often in that order. Deeds and words of love. Number three, the why of evangelism, love for God and love for man. And then, fourthly, the reminder about prayer. In closing then, as you pray about how to apply all this very practically in the coming weeks and months. And as you begin or continue to live it out, please don't forget the words of Christ in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, which remind us that the work ultimately is His. He is behind it all. This powerful One, the Lord Jesus Christ, has all authority over every heart that we are seeking to reach. Remembering also that He is always, always with us to help us and to guide us along the way. So let me close just by reading once again. Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray together.